I think if you're going to go into this intently as a marathon runner and optimize your life to be a marathon runner, awesome, go for it. Like you can do really well. And if you want to be a bodybuilder, like you can win out of that as well. Like there is no right or wrong here. I think the mistake as a business owner is like not choosing or trying to do both at the same time and expecting to be as good at both ends. This is James Schramko. James Schramko here. Welcome back to my podcast. This is episode 939. And we'll be talking about the difference between building a business to sell versus building a business for cash flow. Brought along my good friend, Charlie Valor, for that discussion. Hello, Charlie. Hey, James. Thanks for having me on again. Always my pleasure. You're a man of many talents. I noticed you're making some great progress there with your new enterprise, fullstackbusinessowner.com. So congratulations. Thank you. It's a whole heap of fun. And I love it when like a chord hits, like sometimes as content creators, we can make all these things and you don't really hear from people. But um, in this case, all the people that have been tuning into the podcast, like I've been getting a ton of messages from people reaching out. So thank you. Cause I know many have come from this audience as well. I know I asked you this privately, but I'm just curious if you could answer this publicly, what does full stack business owner, what, what does full stack actually mean? Yeah. So what I've seen and observed, and I suspect you've probably seen something similar, James, is I find a lot of people that like they get good at a little component or a few skills in business, but they might be missing some of the major ones. So maybe they're really good at like marketing and sales, but then when it comes to like doing their accounts or hiring their teams, they really struggle. And because of that, they kind of hit this glass ceiling where they never hit the potential of what they could do. And the consequence of that often means they end up kind of trapped in their business, running around, just putting out fires and they never get to those payoffs that a lot of business really want, business owners really want, which is like, you know, building wealth outside their business or having a lifestyle with their business that they want. So one of the things we really look towards in full stack business owner is the idea of building out that full stack of skills so you can be the jack of all trades, but winning at them instead of like, what is it? It's um, a master of none is the one I want to say here. It's like the idea of that if you do master many more skills in your business, you can accomplish much more and achieve things on the back of it. So it's like a complete business owner, like a fully rounded out, well-skilled business owner. Completely. Love it. Okay. Now that was important to sort of set up this discussion because as a consequence of you putting some time and energy into there, you've really gone deep into some of these financial type topics that small business owners really need to be on top of. And this is a great topic. You floated a couple of ideas for this episode and I love this topic because it's something I encounter a lot as a business coach. It's certainly something I want to know right at the start, whether we're building a business to sell or building a business for cash flow. So let's just talk about why that is so important to make this decision early. Because they have such heavy consequences if you try and swap down the line. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I guess if if you're not quite sure what you're doing. I mean, this is really, if you listen to this and you don't currently know if you're building a business to sell or you're building for cash flow, this will be a fantastic, insightful episode. Let's talk about what some of the key differences would be between a business that you're building to sell versus building for cash flow. Yeah, I think the main one is is if you're building a business to sell, it's from very different intent than building one for cash flow. And I mean, even in the naming of this, you can see the different goals. But let's say where we'll start with the building a business to sell is if you know you're building a business to sell, you might be happy to take less profits and reinvest in the growth of your company knowing you'll get a bigger multiple or a bigger exit when the time comes. But if you're building a business for cash flow, well, then you may be less likely to take that because you want to receive cash every quarter or every month or whatever is appropriate in your business. 
And I think if you really think about that, like really just spend a minute on it and go, okay, well, if I'm building this for sale, maybe I'll hire that extra employee to get that growth up rather than taking that cash out as an example. So the distinctions between the two are very, very interesting. The other one that most notably, and you kind of mentioned this one before to me, is that if you're building a business to sell, well, really you're building it for desirability for someone to buy it. So there's a whole bunch of factors that go into that as well. Like maybe you're building the type of company where there's a competitor you want to acquire it. So your whole goal becomes, well, how do I become such a pain for this competitor that they're kind of forced to buy me or they'd want to buy me versus when you're doing it for cash flow? Well, that, that type of thinking doesn't really need to exist. Yeah, well, certainly it's great if you can build a business that a bigger company wish they had and they just want to buy, like when Facebook buys Instagram or Microsoft buys LinkedIn or when LinkedIn bought Linda. <laughs> you know, you, you basically kind of like the whole teaching a big company how to suck eggs thing. You create that little thing that they really want or wish they had and they, it's cheaper for them to just acquire it than to go out and try and compete with you. If you know who's going to buy your company when you start it, it will definitely change the way you make decisions. So the reason I want to know it as a business coach very early on, it will change the advice I give someone, whether they should do it. And one of the most obvious ones that comes up is what do we call the thing? So it's rarer that you'll see a business that you're going to sell named in a personal brand. And this one comes up a lot. But as someone who's switched from a company brand to a personal brand, I can tell you there's some definite differences between the personal brand and the, and the business brand. It really, every decision you make has all these consequences. One of the big things that we noticed when we brought it back to a personal brand, it was kind of me saying, you know what? I don't think I could sell this business the way it is. I would have to make different decisions and I'd have to take time to re-engineer this business to be in a saleable position. And it's not worth it versus me spending my time and energy growing other people's saleable businesses and getting paid that way. So there's a few points there. One is just because you've made a choice here doesn't mean that you're excluded from participating in the upside. It's just that you're going to have to do it with multiple entities. And the other one is that for every decision you make, it's going to change things down the track. So one of the simple things that we noticed was when we brought it back to one brand, we now had just one set of social accounts to manage. We had one prime product to focus on. So everything became simpler. For the team, it was kind of like this, ah, oh, relax. It's also you get a lot more traction faster under a personal brand and you have a defensible position in the market because there's only one you. So there's only one you. It's easy to be unique. And what we noticed is this podcast tripled, right? And then it maintained at least a double over previous and it started ranking everywhere when we switched to a personal brand. So I feel it was much harder and slower to get traction as a business than as a personal brand is one thing that I noticed. So that might factor into your, into your decision-making process. Can I share a couple of stories here, please? Please. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I have um, a friend, I won't name them just because of, well, I haven't asked them, but um, they had a personal brand business they sold and it was like actually quite a difficult process. And there was two things that were very interesting in that is like one, when he put the business up for sale is that every offer he received got uh, what you call it, down round or reduced. Just they put in a, an offer for less because of the attachment to his brand. So they go, look, businesses like this normally sell for here, which for anyone on the audio, my hand is high. And then <laughs> got a reduction of like, you know, a 20% because of that. But then the other side of it, which I thought was really fascinating, was that they golden handcuffed him. So even once he sold the business, 
he had a 24-month term. We had to work in the business to help them de-risk it. So he was trying to sell the business to get out, but then ended up actually becoming locked to it and then as an employee of it. And he went through that process and it was successful overall. But in hindsight, he probably said, well, I wouldn't have done it. I should have just gone the personal brown round in my case because of all the effort I put into getting it saleable just ended up not being worth it. Yeah. So I realized that I was sort of, a, I was there on the super fast business train. I'd been running it for a long time. And I realized that if one of the prime filters for selling a business is that it works without you, then it wasn't satisfying that at the time. And I felt like I could have migrated it, but it would have taken a while. Now, the other business model that I'm particularly fond of is my revenue share partnerships, where I'm partnering with other businesses and I help them grow their business. And quite a lot of them are actually built to sell their companies their business branded, and I can grow those businesses and participate in a sale event. So I can still get my cash flow from a personal brand, and I can also get a sale event from the business brand by having separate little pies, I suppose, separate little silos. So I think you can do both, but not with the same company, right? (laughs) I was always building super fast business with an idea that I might sell it, but in reality, I was really running it more like a, a cash flow business, a high cash flow business. And where I would have, a classic one for coaching businesses, for example, if you want to sell the business, you're going to start hiring sub-coaches and you're going to start spending more on, on marketing that's not going to involve your personal podcast, et cetera. And I didn't want to do that. Now, on the flip side, I bet you there are personally branded businesses who do run a lot like a business that would sell. They reinvest and reinvest in their branding. And I'm sure you handled a few of those in your media company, Charlie, where they keep reinvesting and still don't make huge margins, even though they're a personally branded company that might have cash flow. So they're just delaying the cash flow event to a bigger cash flow event when the business is a bigger size. So I guess my point here is it's not automatic that if you choose to have a business to sell versus a business for cash flow, that you'll get the sale or that you'll get the cash flow. It, right? These things still take work. Oh, how do they agree with that? One of the things you mentioned there, which I think is a little bit fascinating as well for people, is that personal brands tend to do really well if you're making content. Overall, when I was in the media stuff, and I'm, I'm even in that pool still a little bit with our own podcasts in here, undoubtedly people doing things connected to a personal brand for podcasting and YouTube channels do better. They really, really do. I think that is a huge advantage and maybe one of the reasons you, uh, if you are a creator and a content maker, you may consider going, well, I'm going to go the more cash flow route than going building a business to sell because of that brand entanglement. But there's so many clever ideas around that. Like you mentioned, like you can use your brand to grow other businesses that you can sell. You can also take that cash flow you're making in a business and invest it in other assets. So maybe you buy investment products or other things from that or buy other businesses. There's a whole bunch of stuff you could do, but you just got to think about it a little bit more creatively. I've rubbed up against this a few times and I'm sure uh, you've seen this far more than I. The one that concerns me is when someone spent like a long time building a personal brand and then all of a sudden they just want to sell it. Like they hadn't planned or thought out any other ideas or strategies for them to end up being well off along the way. Yeah, that's like, it's huge. Actually, because I get to peek under the hood, I can tell you the recurring themes. One is most people have never thought about whether they're building it to sell or whether they're building for cash flow. So that's one of the first questions in my diagnostic when I take on a student, because I need to know. I'm going to tell them completely different things depending on the goal. So knowing the objective is a great head start. Certainly, I've seen a lot of personal brands or famous people 
who are not wealthy yet because they haven't been reinvesting. They often don't know how to read a profit and loss chart. They haven't got good books or accounts. They don't have granular data on their marketing or conversions. It's just a shit show, basically. So you would think these people are rich and wealthy, but they're actually not. Of course, not all of them. There's some of them who are just like spectacularly doing great, but then there's some who aren't, right? So if you're going to have a cash flow business, and if you're going to build a personal brand that's probably very hard to sell, then I would, you know, actually, I'm not even going to give advice. I'll tell you what I do. You do whatever you want. I take money from my business because it's a very high profit margin business, and I put it into other asset classes and other investments. And my goal is that I could just turn off my business one day. I could just switch it off. I could uh, basically fill out my service agreement. So let's say someone bought an annual membership yesterday. Then I could say, right, at the end of a year, we're done. And if I didn't want to do that, I could say, right, I'm just refunding you a year's worth of payment here. Like, so, of course, you've got to meet your dues. But let's just say, hypothetically, I'm, I'm done. I don't want to do this anymore. I can just stop. And then I can live off the income from my investments. That's my exit strategy. And in between there is my partnerships, which give a nice combination of a royalty for effort that I've done up front that will still continue to pay for quite some time. I love your point about creativity. I'm going to tell you also what changed because I'm sure someone's listening. Think, James, I've known you for ages. I've listened to your stuff. You used to be about build the brand to sell or build the company. I built on my company the whole time up until 2022. I never used my personal domain in a big way or my personal profile to sell, partly because I didn't know what I want to be when I grew up. And now I know it's, I just want to be a professional amateur surfer. Good to know. Really good to know. And two is I think there's been so much change in social media, it's impossible to ignore. It's so much upside leverage in having a personal brand, even so much more now than three to five years ago, and absolutely more than 10 or 12 years ago because some of these companies were just little babies or they didn't even exist, right? There was no TikTok back then. There was no Instagram back then. Facebook and Twitter were early days. YouTube was early days. Like It's impossible to ignore that that's where it's at. If you want to embrace social media and content marketing, and in particular videos, and a big hat tip to you, Charlie, uh, for all of your influence there on you know the very fact that this podcast is recorded in video, Charlie. So anyway, I think it's impossible to ignore. So I've leaned into it, and to my surprise and delight, my audience has you know, massively expanded just from the change in the focus. So I accept that I'll probably never sell jamesramco.com, but I will certainly put that uh, cash flow to good use in the meantime, and I'll continue to grow other businesses. And just before I hand over the mic, because I'm sure you've got a few things you want to say, we often hear from my guests, Matt and Liz Rad, and we're talking about building out websites as a digital investing and stuff. I want to emphasize, I still do that business model. I have a website that I've been building for years and years and years that is growing and growing. It gets more traffic than my business website here. That is an asset that I can sell that does not have any involvement publicly from me. So I play both business models at the same time, but on different sites. Over to you, Charlie. It's interesting, right? The way I kind of think about it is um, if you've got two opposed things, right? Where it's, I'm going to say, like for in the fitness world, it's like bodybuilding and marathon running. They're pretty opposed. Like they're both health related, but there's very, very different ingredients and recipes that go into being successful in those games. I think it's almost the same here. 
I think if you're going to go into this intently as a marathon runner and optimize your life to be a marathon runner, awesome, go for it. Like you can do really well. And if you want to be a bodybuilder, like you can win out of that as well. Like there is no right or wrong here. I think the mistake as a business owner is like not choosing or trying to do both at the same time and expecting to be as good at both ends. Like clearly the person who just focuses on marathons is going to smoke you. And clearly the person who just focuses on bodybuilding, right? So if you're trying to, and I can't, I'm not saying you can't do both of these separately, but entangle them in the same business, trying to get that optimal result, I think would be very difficult, if not impossible compared to the person who is focused there. So I wonder if you think you can build a business to sell that has great cash flow. It's clearly been done, but I think reflecting that, I just think what you would do would be different. So like in that example there, like are there businesses that do sell that have great cash flow? Absolutely. But would they have as great cash flow if that's all they focused on? Because I know for sure, and I'll share some of my own experience, like my first business um, I actually sold. When it came time to sell it, suddenly I'm spending all this money on like de-risking it getting financial audits done. Like there's all this other stuff that goes into preparing for a sale. The second side of that was, is that um, any risks, like I had a risk in this business where we were very heavily dependent on Facebook ads. I had to spend a whole year de-risking it so we could acquire clients on YouTube as well. So like I wouldn't have done any of those things or put focus on it or spent the money on having the team that could deliver that if I wasn't selling it. So in that case there, even the good cash flow business could be stronger in cash flow if they weren't preparing for a sale. And then to go even further than that, like you mentioned the Instagram example before, is like Instagram was really valuable to Facebook and they made that very clear. It wasn't many other people that would actually buy it or would be worth that. So they're all the different games that come into it. I will mention a few more points on that because I think sometimes people glorify the sale of a business not really knowing what it entails. Like uh, when I, I know you've gone through this potentially as well, James, just when you prepare a business for sale and then you actually go through the process with a seller, just the amount of meetings and back and forth that go into the questions they have. And rightly so, right? If I was going to buy a business, I would be asking the questions too, but it does chew up a lot of your time or it can potentially chew up a lot of your time doing that. And then the thing that I kind of had anticipated, we just get it, you know, there's a day where you sell and it's like selling a house. You just get all your cash on the day. There's a settlement day, then we're done. Not at all. <laughs> Handover periods, I had payment terms, and I think it's called a leveraged buyout, where it's like I got money each month over a duration of time until it was paid out, where it's like it wasn't necessarily just a lump sum payday in my case. Or I know people do get that as well. So uh, when you've sold businesses in the past, James, like what was your experience in that? Yeah, I was just, I was just thinking to myself, some people who try and buy used surfboards are more difficult than people who tried to buy my businesses. <laughs> One of the businesses I sold was very smooth sailing. It was a perfect business for the person buying it. They trusted me. I worked with them for a long time. The terms were easy to agree. We didn't get all nuclear law lawyered up and everything, just a simple agreement. And that worked great. That was fine. The other one was a little more complex and was a larger business. And going back to your point before, it was running at about a 50% profit margin at a substantial some. Uh, it was doing seven figures a year in revenue. So I believe, yes, I probably could have sold it for even more had I reinvested some of that substantial profit margin back into accelerating it. But that was a kind of an unintentional sale. I wasn't ready to sell it or looking to sell it. I'd had people offer to buy it, but I came to the point where it was for a silly reason why I had to sell it in a way, but it was that one of my customers was buying so much of it that 
it started to become a big risk. So the only way to de-risk the business was to sell it to my biggest customer because at some point they would vertically integrate me and take their business away, which does two things. I mean, I lose a great customer and you know, a good chunk of my revenue, and now I've also got a competitor. So it was like, it's probably just easier to sell it. I, I worked out. So I agree with you on that point before. If, it, if you have great cash flow and you have a business to sell, maybe time to look at how could you grow it even bigger. I found there was definitely some legal argy-bargy because there's big decisions to make. Who's doing the legal agreements? Often lawyers can get tangled up, especially if you're international and you're working off different laws. They were trying to use a different template for the purchase for, that didn't quite suit. And where you can get bogged down is you speak to the buyer and they speak to you and then there's something you want to talk about and then they speak to their lawyer and then it comes back and you have to speak to your lawyer and it comes back and then the process can get slow and sticky, like really difficult to move. So I was lucky that my lawyer agreed to speak to the other person's lawyer. And it's like, thank God. If you can get a lawyer who can do that, it saves you a lot of time and money. And they sorted it all out. So that got done. And as I also agree with you, with almost all businesses, you're not going to get paid all your money straight up front because they're going to want to try and mitigate some risk. Generally, it's as simple as this. The buyer usually wants you to take all the risk and the seller usually wants the buyer to take all the risk, but you end up somewhere in the middle and you'll end up with um, probably some money up front and then some kind of either performance criteria or payment plan, depending on how much competition there is out in the marketplace. And that's that. So it was awesome. One of the first things I remember when I sold the business was I want to do this again. It was so good to get paid a stored value for an idea that you had. That you know, At some point, it was just an idea. And then I put a domain up there. And then I started marketing. And I grew it into a seven-figure empire. And to get paid for that was fantastic. And that's why I build a business now that I will sell. I've always told my team, I've told anyone that will listen, this business is going to be sold one day. That is the pure intent of this thing, which is why I must be not the face of it. It has to work without me. I've learned my lesson. That means I can pour myself into the personal business without the expectation. I'm going to, I'm going to get paid in different ways. Yeah. I mean, we have certainly highlighted some of the downsides of building a business to sell and even the selling process can be quite uh, difficult. Well, the upside is all that money up front. Completely. <laughs> Years worth of profit in, in a single event is phenomenal. Did you feel like buying and selling in this equation here is like it was a different skill set? Because that was my thing. I felt like when I went into this process, like I'd spent all these years learning how to like run this business and do it well. And then there was all these new things I had to learn to go through the buying and selling process. This is my approach, right? It's hard for me to answer that one because I'm totally not normal. For a start, I've spent more years buying and selling than most people listening to this podcast. Okay. Because I started out when I was about 17 or 18, buying and selling timber with my grandfather as a broker. The thing about most people who come into business who are good at selling is they haven't learned how to be good at buying. But I actually got learned, I learned how to buy. And in the car industry, you're not selling a car unless you're buying the current car off somebody generally. If they're trading in, you have to be a good buyer as well as a good seller. That's a key experience that I had. So I guess I came to the online world with a lot of experience around buying and selling, but not just the technical process, not just the subtle nuances and experience around it, but the emotional and mental preparation involved. I can spend millions of dollars without even flinching. Like I can do that with an unemotional perspective because I've worked with big numbers. So I brought that to the table. 
I also, in the lead up to selling my business, I had started interviewing people on my podcast about buying and selling businesses. So I basically created my own masterclass by inviting some of the best people in the world. I, I spoke to business brokers, M&A experts over the years, from John Murillo through to FE International. I had all these experts come onto my show and I just grilled them and asked them everything there is to know about buying and selling. Uh, Michelle Seiler Tucker. And then I read all their books. I read several books. This is my process. When I want to do something, I buy three or four books on Amazon and read them all in a weekend. That's it. I've read um, Built to Sell and I've read Exit Rich and I've read several other books that are on Amazon there. I've taken courses on it. Once you've ingested all, then you've covered most of the ground. So I knew the basics. Like basically, you're going to have to show the potential to the buyer. You're going to have to prepare a book of sale. You have to only really show the offer to someone who's qualified. You'll want to maximize the value in it by pointing out where all the opportunities are that they can develop. And also, this is really important, and it's particularly important to people longer on in their time cycle in business. You've spent years building this thing, but in a very short space, you're going to capture the value for it. Your ability to do that could have a huge impact on the rest of your life because once that business is sold, there's no more earning opportunity from that. So the difference between 50,000 or 100,000 or 500,000 or a million could be significant in the compound effect of how you're going to invest that money down the track. So I think some people give away too much. It's not like selling a surfboard, right? If I sell a surfboard for $800 and someone wants to buy it for 700 and I lose 100 bucks, I can quickly recoup $100 later on. So it's not such a critical decision. But if you're selling a business for a million dollars and someone's nibbling you down to 500000 that's a huge amount to restore. It's, it's, it, you know, that could take months or years for someone to recoup the difference. So I think when you're buying big assets, it's really important to sharpen up on that. And I th- don't think it's a coincidence that the top selling course, or the top viewed course, I think because it's all a bundle now on that masterclass, was the Chris Voss negotiation series, which is really excellent, by the way. Yeah, powerful skills that really helps them build their full stack of skills. <laughs> you, want a, you need a full stack if you're a business owner, that's for sure. Well, I like your method of uh, getting the books as well, James. That's another way to develop your uh, full stack of business owner skills. I'll point this one out because I, I have a, a view on it, but I'm very curious on yours as well, James. Like, Do you think there's certain business models or even types of businesses that are more suited to sell versus more suited for cash flow? And the obvious one I'll point out is like we've mentioned personal brands. Like, If you're a creator, if you're someone who wants to do a podcast or a YouTube channel, I think the likelihood of that being more of a cash flow business and you having to look for opportunities outside that to develop assets you could potentially sell is high. Is there any that stand out to you where it's like, well, if you're in this path or going this way, you, you're more likely to want to sell one day? Well, I think e-commerce is an easy one. Easy to sell e-commerce businesses, easy to sell content sites that are branded around a theme or whatever, not a person. Harder to sell agencies, especially if the expertise is tied to the owner operator. They'll generally get a much lower multiple. I going to say two multiple on agencies. It's tiny. You're almost better keeping it. If it's, well, it's almost one actually for a consultant. So if it's just a consulting, if, if it's like a one-man band with an assistant, you get a multiple of one maybe if the database is useful for someone else. Your content sites, some of them are like four years or seven years, like depending on, on what they can sell really well. They're the sort of I'm building to sell because 
I think content's in, you know, let's, and if you're good with SEO and images and videos and stuff, it's great. It's such an easy, and you can attend to it when you feel like it. It's not a demanding business compared to an agency. And you don't have stock or hassles like you do with e-commerce. So I'm pretty deliberate about where I choose to focus. The personal service, this high, you know, what I do is a consulting sort of thing in the coaching is pretty personally intensive, but it's super, super high paying and really rewarding. So it's fun to do while I do it, but I can see that I'm not going to do it. It'd be almost impossible to sell without having to go through the complexity. Now, this is just a little warning that I've got. It's usually agency owners I speak to or freelancers who are experts. Generally, they're the ones who hate their business a lot. They very, very, very often say, I'm burnt out. I hate my business. It's too difficult. Customers are a pain, hard managing a team. And I'm saying, well, what are you going to do? Are you going to fix it? Are you going to sell it? Or are you going to close it? But a lot of these people, I don't think they can sell it easily unless they've got someone coming up through the ranks or they could be absorbed by another company, which is going to involve golden handcuffs. They're either going to fix it or just stop it. Yeah, completely. One of the things I think about often is um, growing up, my uh, best friend, his dad got an insane offer for his business and he was quite vocal about it. I think he was very excited to have received such a large offer, but he said no. Right. So he got this ridiculously large offer and it's like, nah, I'm not doing it. This business is going to keep powering on. And then a few years later, they went into a massive decline. They didn't necessarily spot there was innovations on the line and competitors coming into the space. So I think one of the things probably to consider in this line of thinking as well is that if you have the type of business, you might have every intent of selling 10 years from now or five years from now or something like that. But the reality is, is like, you know, maybe like the Yellow Pages or Kodak, things change. Blockbuster. Such a good point. You know, another thing that I do with my coaching students is when I do the diagnostic, I say, what's your number? Wait, do they all still say the same number? (laughs) Well, I'm talking about what's the number they would accept for their business. And they're like, oh, I'm not, no, I'm not ready to sell right now. Like, well, it's good to know that number. Like for me, I always had my number with super fast business. If someone came, like if um, the UK, British Telecom UK wanted to come along and buy it because I'm a pain in the ass for their SEO for when they were trying to do super fast business in the UK. I had my number. I was ready to go. They pay me that number. I'll just give them the domain and away you go. It's all yours. It's good to know your number if you've got a business that you're building to sell. And it's good to know it now. And so the, the other way it can work is I'm like, well, what would you have to do for that business to sell for that number? And you should adjust that number as you go, like a will or whatever. You know, like every time you have a kid or buy another property, you might want to update your will. Same as, as your business evolves and grows, you should know that number's moving and be prepared to accept it. One of the biggest outcomes I got from speaking to experts on the subject of selling their businesses, and especially John Murillo, was one of the biggest factors is what are you going to do after you sell? That's the biggest determinant is if you're going to have seller's remorse or not. If you don't have something good to go to or no real driver, you probably just miss the business. That's one reason people keep their business. And another thing that I've observed is after the point people are burnt out and hate their business and decide to get rid of it, it's very easy for them to just let it run into the ground and drive the value down. I want you to think about this. What it, every single dollar of profit is probably really a multiple of that dollar. Every dollar could be worth $4 of sales price or $8 of sale price of that profit. So if, you, if you're making $100,000 profit, that could be 400000 or $800,000 difference in the sale price. So you definitely want to keep your head in the game at least until you've made the sale. Until that money hits your account, it's not over. 
my experience from the car industry or having sold my own businesses, I can tell you most people, and especially salespeople, they tend to count the sale or the money in the bank before it's actually there. And that's a big mistake because amazingly frequently things happen at, at the 11th hour, 11.30, 11.50 p.m., a deal breaker, the scuttle, you know, the massive chips off the table event that can then really scuttle you and upset you. So you've got to be prepared for that. Push through until, as I used to say, until you see taillights, but until the money's in the bank. I've seen cars get destroyed just before delivery. I had, I had this guy, he was such a hostile, crazy guy that the Australasian CEO asked me to deal with him. And so I did and, and I helped him spec out a car that was about $480,000. And we waited nine months for it, like having a baby. And it arrived and I updated him the whole way and he's fine. I got off the boat, it went to customs, it's in the customs yard. Tomorrow it's coming to the dealership on the truck. And then that night it got stolen, never to be seen again. I had to call this guy and tell him, sorry, but it's been stolen and we don't know where it is. And uh, yeah, so you just can't count it till it's finished. I feel for that. That is brutal. It's a difficult conversation to have, you know, like when you have to break that news because people have certain expectations. And I managed to navigate that conversation quite well. I had a very good technique. I asked him if, if he's ever had any of his things stolen and he said, yes. Because you know he was a dealer of a, of another brand or product, and uh, I said, I oh, know it sucks. And I'm and how did you deal with it with your customers? And so I've got this huge empathy thing happening. And then and I said, you know what? I've checked, and um, the big boss had ordered a very similar spec that had two extra features that is arriving in a week from now. And I've convinced him that he needs to give that car to you. And uh, so if you want it, it's yours. And he goes, I'll take it. So. I managed to get out of it, luckily, and still make the sale. But it was, it was a difficult one. But you can't count it till it's done. The money's in the account. So don't give up. If you're sick of your business, make a plan as early as possible. That's really probably one of the huge takeaways from this episode, I think. Decide today. Are you going to sell it? If you're going to sell it, how much are you going to sell it for? And who's going to buy it? If you know that today, you're set up for success. If you're not going to sell it, great. Then take your cash flow and do something great with it. And tune into Charlie's show, fullstackbusinessowner.com. You've also got a more wealth-oriented one, haven't you, Charlie? Well, it's not quite out yet, but I'll share it here. Hope it'll be out soon. Yeah, I'm salivating for this one. Yeah, so we've got Full Stack Property Investor. So I'm quite a fan of the property market and uh, something I've been doing a lot in. So we've got a new podcast launching under the Full Stack brand that's just specific on property and how to invest in that. I love it. I know that's your passion lately and uh, I'm a lot I think it's great. Isn't it great when you're not just hunting down the next customer, the lead? <laughs> so sick of hearing about traffic and conversions. Like, There's so much beyond that and that's what is exciting. I think for this episode, this is an evergreen topic. It's something that really has to come up if you're going to go into business. Make that decision early. If you need help around that, if you don't know whether you want to sell or not, then reach out to Charlie or myself. Ask us a few questions. I'm sure we'll be able to help you decide on what makes sense there. Yeah, absolutely. Fun episode, James. Really fun episode. Hopefully the listeners enjoyed it as much as we enjoyed making it. <laughs> yeah. I'd like to have you back too. I, you had a couple of other interesting topics that I think we should discuss. So we'll, we'll get onto those in a future episode. Awesome. Let's do it. There you go. This one is episode number 939. We'll put it up at jamesramco.com and we'll also put a show digest. So we'll just put the essential bullet points from this show up there if you want to grab the PDF. And uh, thank you for tuning in. This is James Shramko. 